0: Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 23, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, the TV series from 1990. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us, we have our Bill and Ted expert, Cara O'Regan. Hello, Cara. Hey, dudes. Hey, dude. (laughs) dudette this is no i think i think dude i mean do they use dudette or is everybody just a dude i think girls are babes, I think dude. babes. oh
1: that's a good point yeah
0: <laughs> you join us on a very special episode because this episode we actually didn't make a note of it Mike. a couple episodes ago i think between this and cage club we've done like a hundred episodes together oh this is something like 102 i think and we've never done a tv series like as a series i mean cage was on best of times, and, you know, Kiana's been on a couple episodes, so we haven't really done anything that requires prolonged viewing, and Mm -hmm. so this is going to be sort of an interesting experiment, how we're actually going to do it for this, because there's a lot to take in, there's a lot to talk about here.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a little different because we're covering an entire season of a TV show in one episode. It's a little unorthodox, but, you know, we'll we'll roll with the punches and see how it goes. And, I, yeah, this is definitely new territory, not just for Keanu Club, but we didn't do this in K-Club either.
0: What's weird about this, in a way, is that this summer, you know, TV sort of dies in the summer in terms of, like, new broadcasts. Like, there's still stuff on, but relative to, you know, September through, like, May or early June, there's, like, nothing on. So, like, lately I've been watching a lot of TV, and I think since 1990 especially, but, you know, in the last couple of years since Netflix really rose to prominence, there's been this increase in narrative storytelling where it's episodic stuff doesn't really work anymore. I mean, there's still stuff that's out there like that, but, you know, a lot of the best shows are these things that evolve over time and characters grow and change. And mm. this is like the best, 100% opposite of that. I mean, mm. like you could watch any of these in any order. And it's, it's sort of great in that sense that, you know, it's still the Bill and Ted that we know and love from the movie. They're not really learning new things, but it sort of makes it a little difficult to binge in that it almost feels like every episode is kind of the same it's like okay they have a problem or they get in trouble or they're about to get kicked out of school or class or whatever they need to go back in time to fix it and even though each episode is radically different in what they do and where they go it still sort of follows that same formula for all 13 episodes
1: yeah i was done with it after the second episode (laughs) (laughs) i had my fills. i was good to go this was actually kind of painful to watch Mm -hmm. uh
2: Wow, I was kind of <laughs> I was kind of all in with this guys. I mean, maybe I'm just a different generation, but this just brought me way back to my childhood. Like I was probably 10 or 11 when this show aired. I don't exactly remember watching it when I was a kid, but I remember lots of cartoons like this and I was a mm-hmm. avid cartoon watcher. And this was sort of toward the end of the golden age of cartoons because not only did we have like Bill and Ted, but there were lots of cartoons based off movies, there was like Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Robocop, Rambo. I mean, they were out there. And this one actually felt the most true to the source material. And I think I mentioned in the Bill and Ted episode, like everything's already there. There's really not much more you can do except retread over and over. You know, we're going to a different time period to fix a different problem in the future. And I thought they were really fast paced. I thought they Covered a lot of time periods and a lot of historical figures, and I just was like not loving them, but they were—they definitely weren't painful for me to watch. I—I I wasn't looking forward to them, but I could definitely <laughs> sit through them.
0: Like they're not slow, and like there's so much that happens, and there's one episode toward the end where the like we gotta go get oh it's right before it's the episode toward the end of the, the first season where they're looking to get a job at the mall. They need a part-time mm-hmm. jobs because they're out of money. They're like, we need to, we need one more letter of recommendation. I'm like, how is this? I'm like, there's just still like, there's, there's like barely any time left in the episode, but like I looked at still like five or six minutes. And like, it's kind of amazing that they can pack an entire sort of mini adventure into about five minutes of screen time. Like they can go to an entirely new place and, you know, get a letter of recommendation from some, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just, they're very economical, sort of, in a way, in their storytelling that they can tell a lot in a little bit of time. But also at the same time, they're not really telling much of story at all, either in five minutes or over 23 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. I actually, like halfway through the season, had to double check when time on the episodes were, because they felt much longer than they actually were. I mean, I already established that I did not enjoy them, which <laughs> doesn't help. It just seems like there's not a whole lot of substance there, but they're girthier, I guess, than 23 minutes would uh, otherwise imply.
2: Yeah, they definitely feel more packed, not just with jokes, but with information. Like, I almost got the sense halfway through the season that they had a mandate where it's like, okay, we can't just be entertainment we have to be education also like let's really use the bill and ted brand and try and get kids interested in history so it almost seemed at some point that they're overpacked you know like there's Mm -hmm. too much going on and they'll show up in a time zone literally just to like meet one person and make a joke and then they're off to another time zone and it may not even have to do with the plot like it's just um, a sidetrack they get sidetracked a lot in this series
1: yeah now here's a question
0: for you guys. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know if there's actually an answer to this, but like, is this supposed to be on some level an educational program? Because I mean, they're sort of learning about who these people are. Like, yeah. like, are you supposed to sort of know, like have a grasp of like who Marie Antoinette is before you watch this episode with her? Are people like legitimately learning about these historical figures through five minutes on a cartoon?
1: I, I'm not sure.
2: So that's sort of what I was getting at halfway through watching this. I got the sense that, yeah, let's try and focus more on exposing little kids, you know, like seven to 12 year olds or people in middle school and grade school still who might come across this. Let's, you know, show them these different time periods and these different historical figures. And, and maybe one or two of them will catch an interest and they'll go on to learn about these people. And as it started, I didn't think that definitely by the end of season one, I was like, okay, yeah, like I think that this they ended up trying to make this an educational show somehow, but I don't know if the balance is quite right. You know, it just it comes across much more for laughs than for
0: anything else. I just want to point out that you said season one, that this show actually ran for two seasons from 1990 through 1991, and then a live action show came in 92, but we're only going to cover on Keanu Club the first season because after the first season, Keanu and Alex Winters both left. And they were replaced by these two guys who went on to portray them in the live action series. And so I know Mike watched one episode of the cartoon for season two, and I think he tried to find something for the live action. I wonder if Keanu, because I mean, this is when Keanu is going to become like this massive, massive star. Because I mean, the next thing that we're doing after a quick detour to a Paul Abdul music video is point break. So I mean, like, he's about to become like a superstar. And so I can see him not wanting to get trapped down into this fun but ultimately sort of empty TV series maybe even though I'm I'm sure it doesn't take too much of his time but it's weird that they continued the series even after the guys and then George Carlin's not in the second season either right
2: right Right, yeah, it's a a new cast. It's even a new animation studio. The first season is Hanna-Barbera, the second season is not. And they remodeled the designs of Bill and Ted a little bit. You could actually see the whites of Ted's eyes in season two, as opposed to just his beady little (laughs) black eyes, which I kind of preferred. The intro's different, the animation style's different. It's just a complete, total overhaul. I even felt the pacing was a lot slower. They visit far. Oh, God. Yeah, it's even slower (laughs) in season two. and, And I just, I just think Bogus Journey was getting ready to come. So, you know, I don't think Keanu and Alex Winter had time to do both. And, you know, if you pick or choose, I think it's, yeah, let's, let's go do the movie. I'm, I'm kind of astounded that they got more than just Keanu and Alex Winter back, but they got George Carlin. They got the guy who plays the history teacher. They got a lot of people back for that first season. It seems kind of rare that they would go do the cartoon version. I don't think Michael J. Fox appeared on Teen Wolf or Back to the Future, the
0: cartoon. Bill, my friend, I am most entirely confused. If this music truly is from the 17th century, how come
2: it's on CD? Ted, my distinguished colleague, they transferred it to CD from the original LP. I cannot relate. None of these old time dudes even played electric guitar. Excuse me, Miss fellow music store customer, might you be able to give us an insight
1: into classical music? Ah, Bach, Tchaikovsky, Rossini, Puccini.
2: Drag, the slave doesn't even speak English. (laughs) Amigos, are you in need of assistance? Rufus! I was just checking out the latest album by New Boys on the Corner. And? They stink. But that's not why
0: I'm here. Excellent. You have come to help us with our report on classical music. Gentlemen, that would be cheating. However, I do have clearance to say three words.
2: Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Amadeus? Did he not make a movie a while back? Yeah, my family rented that flick. It was most triumphant. And he really liked to party on, dude!
1: Yeah, and uh, Hanna-Barbera is responsible so much of what we think about when it comes to cartoons everything from johnny quest the flintstones the jetsons and then a lot of like the cartoon network stuff space ghost dexter's laboratory johnny bravo and uh, the last series that they produced actually was the powerpuff girls
0: Mm. because i I wrote at the beginning that like i love this art style because it is like all those shows i mean it sort of brings you back to a time when cartoons sort of ruled tv or sort of ruled like a Mm. subsection of tv because like now outside of like Fox's animation domination, or whatever they call it now, and maybe like Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, like cartoons don't really exist on TV anymore. It's so radically different than when Hanna-Barbera was sort of one of the kings of the TV landscape. I don't know. I honestly don't know how well or how popular they were in the time, but those are were, were, all those shows that you listed, Kara. Those are all these like lasting shows that still mm-hmm. resonate today and that people still love and watch today. The bottom line is that this TV series was 26 years ago. So it's not like it was recent, but it still brings you back to a time where cartoons were more for than just kids or adults. It was sort of like a whole family kind of entertainment like this.
1: Actually, the Wikipedia article for Hanna-Barbera makes note that this specific series is kind of like right around the time where the balance of cartoons really switched from Saturday morning to prime time sort of stuff to start competing with the simpsons and other shows so it definitely transitional series maybe Mm -hmm. because it is geared toward kids but then also maybe adults can watch it
2: yeah i think adults might enjoy this a little more than the average child's cartoon just if they're bill and ted fans or history buffs but i didn't get the sense Mm -hmm. that it was quite geared towards adults in the way that maybe the Flintstones is some stuff where they sneak in a lot of adult humor, but it's, you know, something kids can enjoy because there's talking animals and stuff. This doesn't seem like a property Hanna-Barbera would handle because I mostly just know them for creating their own properties, you know? So it's kind of interesting that they got Bill and Ted and they went this far with it. I think that that's kind of great. And, and this, I, I also think that around this time, you got a lot of cartoons moving to after school times during the week. I remember like a lot of DuckTales and the whole Disney really ruled the after school hour. So weekend cartoons were definitely waning away and now they're completely dead. It's lost to the ages. It's just a whole lost sort of demographic right there. And another thing about this is it's hand-drawn it's got that hand-drawn sort of wonky timing to it so you feel like this tactile effect to it you know like you just get the sense that people's hands were on this and you know it's done in the traditional sense not without nowadays like all this computer smoothness and even on stuff like Family Guy you can see it's just really it looks hand-drawn but it's computer smooth and really liked how it took me back to just the quality of cartoons back in the day
0: now, one thing that's sort of interesting is I'm looking on the Wikipedia page right now for the TV series, and Hanna-Barbera was only involved in season one, and season one aired on CBS. And so then when season one ended and sort of the entire voice acting talent left, the show moved to Fox Kids and Deke, D-I-C, I don't remember mm-hmm. what else they did, but I remember watching shows that, you know, where they had like that little shooting start and they say, Deke, I remember that happening. They took over season two on Kids. so it seems like everything sort of radically changed from season one season two what's sort of weird uh, and i confirm with mike about the dvd because i watch all these the whole series is on hulu which sort of seems a little surprising i think
1: yeah. but it's let's... actually been on hulu since at least 2009 i remember trying to watch it in one of the dorms and the internet being too slow to like handle hulu at the time <laughs> huh
2: i remember when i first sort of got netflix streaming that the karate kid cartoon was there and i was like what that just seems (laughs) strange it seems strange in the same way but what's
0: weird about the the uploads on hulu but also the dvd is that two of the first season's 13 episodes have the intro from the second season and so you see ted with the whites of his eyes and it's a different intro it's like it's sort of less peppy and less fun and it's just sort of it's It's jarring. I I don't know if that's how I I can't imagine that's how it aired for obvious reasons, but like I wonder what happened in post production since they came out, that that kind of change would have been made.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I did notice that on Hulu, and I remember you saying that on the DVDs, the DVDs only contain up through eight, I think you said. There's
0: like nine ep- nine episodes? I think it's miss-
1: It's maybe no, maybe— no. It's missing what, like what's five. On, what,
0: yeah, it's missing five. Uh, I watched on Hulu. I didn't watch on the DVD. Even though I bought the DVD, I watched on Hulu because it was just easier just to do it that way.
1: I got— kind of excited because i thought maybe that these episodes were actually part of season two and that i didn't have Uh. any more to watch Uh, (laughs) but that was not the case
2: the thing i couldn't figure out watching the missing episodes from the dvd is why they may have been left off the dvd for some reason if there was like a rights issue with one of the historical figures or anything like that but nothing seemed suspect whatsoever It almost just seemed like there wasn't enough room on the DVD to fit all of the episodes whenever they manufactured it. You know, they didn't have enough free space for whatever they spent. So that's just kind of like a a mystery, you know, (laughs) another, (laughs) another Bill and Ted mystery to solve.
0: I kind of want to go through sort of episode by episode, but I also have, on the other hand, like have no interest in doing that because (laughs) like we were saying, like everything is sort of similar, but I feel like this is the kind of show that like if a teacher, like in a high school was like, all right, we're going to learn about whatever. And I'm going to show you this one episode. You would love it because I mean, it's the kind of thing where it's like a little educational, but it's fun. And there's like, you know, especially if you're familiar with these characters and their catchphrases and everything, there's a lot to love here. But then if you watch, more than one episode in a row, like even just two in a row, and every episode they introduce themselves the same way and they say, together we're wild stallions. It's like, it's the same jokes in every episode. And like the one joke I remember where they say, where again, I don't know why I keep talking about this one episode. I don't think it was my favorite, but like when they're trying to get job recommendations and they say, together we're the wild gondoliers. And I was so ready for them to say the wild stallions and just the fact that they subverted it. Like I feel like the the, the writing of this is just, There's such a potential here to sort of twist, you know, subvert the expectations, and it it gets close and just, like, doesn't go far enough. They weren't writing this show, obviously, with the fact that, like, 25 years from now, people are going to be watching all these episodes within the span of a week. Like, I think that, (laughs) you know, if it's week by week, you sort of forget, and, like, these things that may be annoying turn out to be charming. Like, oh, I can't wait for them to introduce themselves. Like, that's Mm -hmm. my favorite part of every episode. But when you're watching three or four or five in a row, and it seems like there's three or four things where Rufus shows up or whatever, it's just okay, like it's the same beats. It's the same plot. It's the same this or that or whatever. and it gets it's not bad. It's just it's not meant for binging.
2: yeah, not at all, not whatsoever. This is definitely designed as a weekly show. I think you got it right. The little kid isn't going to remember everything that happened from week to week, especially if they've got school and a whole lot of other cartoons to watch, you know? And to do that, I think it just kind of shows that the show really sticks to its roots and knows, you know, what it is in that first season. Like, it really sets itself up and feels like there's a plan and they really stick to that plan you know every episode so like while it does feel a little repetitive and routine and all that stuff i kind of commend it for that because like week by week you know you're going to check in and like get what you want i was surprised to feel like oh all the beats are there and they're just going to sort of fill in the blanks with different historical people different time periods and different inventions that they accidentally helped to create along the way
0: Because, like, the premise of the show and the premise of the phone booth, there are literally infinite stories you can tell. Okay, in this episode, you know, Bill and Ted are sort of athletic and they need to go find Babe Ruth for some reason. Whatever justification, I mean, the premise of the time travel and they, you know, they're not damaging history. In fact, they're probably creating history as we know it today they can do whatever they want so like this is kind of like the perfect show to just sort of run forever but at the same time it, it feels sort of limited by like what it almost kind of has to do week mm. in week out
2: yeah it seems like it would be a hard show to write if, <laughs> from my perspective because it sticks to this plan and yeah it feels like there's borders or boundaries at times like around the stories you know like you said they can't stray from certain things and I know that's something they tried to reach for more in the second season where, believe it or not, the phone booth could go into movies, books, all kinds of crazy shit was going on in season two. Uh, I didn't get to any of it. I only blasted one episode. But (laughs) I think that might be why it didn't last. It's just there is a formula to this. and. It's a tricky balance. Maybe that is why there aren't a whole bunch of movies about them traveling through time is because none of them really feel all that epic on their own. I feel like the movie did it best and the cartoons are just sort of retreads in a way every time. I mean, they're, they're, they're not bad, but you know, like I don't think they're bad, they're just confined by their rules a little too much. And that just might be why it gets kind of stale. And you think you could tell every story in the world, but after a while, you're just like, well, we've been here, we've been there, we've met this person. It's just like, it kind of feels a little by the end of this that it may have run its course. If there was a next movie, you know, they maybe they shouldn't go traveling through time. Maybe they should use the phone booth for something else.
0: One thought that I had while watching this is like, trying to think, they meet so many historical figures that... Things don't line up. You're like, okay, what episode... Like, what's a a good example of this?
2: I kept a Um, list of people they met, and they met over 40 people over season (laughs) one. But, like, that's the thing. In one episode, they meet King Tut and Dr. Livingston or something, or, like, Wyatt Earp and, you know, Hannibal. So, yeah, the people they meet don't really feel like there's any connective thread between them, really. I mean, sometimes they go to a time zone by accident, right? Like, I think once they had a Latin report and they accidentally went to Latin America instead of Greece and Rome and stuff. Right. You know, occasionally it's like their misunderstanding, but for the most part, it's not for the most part. It's like I said earlier, like they get sidetracked.
0: Well, because like you think about like, okay, so say for instance, there's the one episode, the Babe Ruth episode where they meet Babe Ruth, they meet Harriet Tubman and they meet Count Dracula. And it's just like, okay, for instance, say you love the Count Dracula scene but like you you sort of have to do like these weird things like okay like what episode is that in cuz like nothing about those three people makes sense on any kind of narrative through line and it would almost be more interesting to like have like spend an entire episode if you have the ideas for it spend an entire episode like with harriet tubman in the underground railroad or spend an entire episode in transylvania but like instead they feel like these this need to like spend five or six minutes in three different places i think that's sort of why what both of us are saying mike about how there's like infinite possibilities but they also sort of ran out of ideas is true because you know they have all these ideas but like you just rush through them all and then once you've been there like you're not gonna go back to harriet tubman for instance mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think there's the potential there to do an episode where they do spend different people, but like for the same reason. Even though there's some sort of thing that they're after in every episode, the characters that they meet aren't necessarily have anything to do with that thing. With your Harriet Tubman example, like, they could go see her and other civil rights figures throughout history. Instead of just having these kind of missions that they have to go on and they go on them with seemingly completely random people.
0: (laughs) You're right. Like they sort of luck into getting out of their jams every time. Like when they find out that, you know, Yankee great babe Ruth and then they hear somebody talking about the Civil War and the Yankee like Ruth is talking about the Civil War. He's like, Oh, these must be the Yankees and they see a girl and like they just accidentally they find the real babe Ruth because they're hungry for hot dogs. Like it's just (laughs) you know like it's 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 funny but it's also stupid and it's just I really can't tell, and I feel like it sort of varies depending on what the episode needs them to be, like how smart or how stupid they yeah. are. Bill, I mean, maybe he doesn't know what the words mean, but like Bill speaks really eloquently at times. And, and then, so does
1: Ted. They both use very flowery language
0: they don't use contractions
2: at all. So they'll never say can't or won't. They will say cannot, will not, should not, you know. So that alone makes them feel sound sophisticated in a way. But then they drop in dude and bogus.
0: It's this weird blend of like highbrow and lowbrow and mm-hmm. at the same time like they're they're familiar with so much in history but also like so far off base with so many other people. Like even people who don't know anything about sports ostensibly know Babe Ruth. You know, like like yeah. if you know one athlete maybe of all time, like Babe Ruth's probably in the top five. I, I get that it's a comedy, I don't want to sort of over analyze the comedy, but like I wish there was a little bit of consistency with how intelligent or how worldly they actually are. Because Mm. I think if they're smarter and you sort of give them a little more credit, that opens up a whole world of possibilities. So they're not accidentally going back in time just to find a hot dog. You know, they can go to 1927 or whatever in New York and have a whole story there and then have to get to Babe Ruth or something.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think actually the two characters dynamic from the first movie into this series changes in that in the movie... Bill is relatively the smart one, and Keanu's kind of like the stupid one. Whereas in this series, I feel like they're both pretty stupid, but they're using this really flowery language. Bill was kind of in charge, and there's no one in charge here. They're both kind of just like bumbling more so than the movie.
2: Yeah, I think maybe if Joey, this was like a serial show, we could see them get smarter over the course of the season and by the end of it just you know be history teachers or something like that or <laughs> you know start taking tours through time and charging for it or something but because it's not like they are reset back to square one every episode at the start so as much progress as they make every episode it's all pretty much erased in the week between shows so that when you back meeting them next week they're as dumb as you know as a post again or like they're just they're they're back to their original stupidity level and you know they may get smarter again over the course of the new episode but it's all going to get reset again next week
0: which is kind of frustrating because like if this show came out today there would be a continuity and even if it's more standalone episodes or everything they would still just based on like how tv has evolved they would be like hey remember that time like when we met that harriet tubman babe you know what i mean like they would be <laughs> able to reference back to previous episodes here it's like they're so focused on like we got to make sure that nobody ever feels left out whether they've watched every episode or no episodes we want them to be able to appreciate and understand and fully enjoy this episode, which I think is why every introduction starts with Rufus giving a breakdown, That like if you don't know the movie, you don't know the TV series, here's who these guys are, here's why they're important, here's why you should care, here's how they go back in time, and they go from there.
2: Yeah, but even in just in that great theme song, they got it all laid out, you know, right at the start, but then they even feel the need to reiterate some of that with the opening act, where... Rufus will come and he'll be like, all right, amigos, like, if you don't fix this uh, this problem, the fate of the future depends on it, <laughs> basically, you know? It's like, if you don't get jobs, the, the future's going to be destroyed. If you don't play the homecoming dance, there'll be no future. <laughs> it's very repetitive.
0: I don't know why the writers feel the need to, like, justify every action. Like, we need to know why they're going back in time. It's like, because the future depends on it, or... <laughs> They're about to get kicked out of school. Like, I know that's sort of unique and kind of inciting incident, but, like, I think they can be lower stakes than, like, saving the future. Because while right. it's so- funny to be, like, all these things, you know, require these two idiots from San Dimas in 1990 to go back in time and do whatever, I mean, not everything has to be of the most utmost importance. It can just sort of be... Oh, they're just gonna go back in time to have spending money. That's you know, the, mm-hmm. the part time jobs one. Like it's it's a lower stakes one, but it's just as valid as an episode as any of the other ones, I think.
2: Yeah, I think one of the lower stakes ones that worked kinda of well for me was they wrecked the car of Ted's dad. Mm-hmm. So they just have to go back and find Henry Ford and get him fixed the car. And maybe Ted would have gotten sent off to Military Academy, probably not. You know, they whatever. It just it, it feels a lot less drastic than it needs to be, and that, and I think that's good. And I think the show needed maybe a little more of that because, like, it wants to be a light, fun show for kids. But the message is like, the fate of the future depends on,
1: you.
2: <laughs> and it's just like, ooh, that's a little tense.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so funny because in that episode, they introduced flight to the Wright brothers. Like, they were just going to make bicycles without Bill and Ted to tell them you should think about flight. And they also introduced Henry Ford to the idea of cars.
2: Yeah, that that was one aspect of the show I wasn't expecting that they kind of trail off of, too, little by little, is they'll get involved in creating historical things and, you know, while Mm -hmm. being in that place. So I think they invent, like, the toga. The They build the Great Wall of China. They help with the
0: Boston Tea Party playing. They, they invent the samurai haircut.
1: And Chinese takeout boxes. And they are, in fact, responsible for bringing spaghetti to the Italians <laughs> and not
0: Marco Polo. They're instrumental in creating Columbus Day as a holiday. That's funny in that, you know, <laughs> they're worried that Columbus isn't going to find America. Not about, like, changing, like, <laughs> like how history played out but just more concerned with not having that one extra day a year off from school. Like that's sort of what's great. And I think, I mean, those are like the the understated jokes I think work really well where they're, they're so blind to the big picture. They're so oblivious to the world that that's why like they're lovable and that's why things work, I think.
1: And I think that gag, you know, being responsible for these like, important moments in western civilization is really funny it's it's kind of to me was like the best part of the show
2: yeah that's what i was almost thinking more when we were watching the movie and talking about it like they were always meant to go back and interact in a way that's why they're so instrumental in in the future and the past is that they've always like been weaving themselves throughout time so they're almost like the glue that holds everything together
0: Right. I mean, if you want to think about it as a serious time travel show, which it obviously isn't meant to be, and I think we talked about this when we talked about the movie, in the theory of time travel, they've always gone back in time and invented or you know, taught the Wright brothers mm-hmm. or got the Wright brothers to go on, in terms of flight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or got them interested in flight instead of bicycles. So in that sense, but like, it doesn't feel that way. Like It feels like they're just there like, sort of speeding up time a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and related to the rules of time travel, we talked about the TARDIS the last episode about the movie and the kind of debate about whether or not the booth is based on the TARDIS. In the movie, when they travel places, they're not necessarily able to speak to the people or the place that they've traveled to. But interestingly, in Doctor Who with the TARDIS, the TARDIS has a component called the translation circuit, which helps them understand and be able to speak the language of any place that they travel to in the TARDIS hmm. so I was was thinking like did Moon Booth get a translation circuit upgrade or <laughs> why is that suddenly different other than for no reason at all well,
0: I feel like not only I mean maybe they got that but they also somehow got some kind of device or gadget or add-on that makes everybody around them sort of just completely okay with the fact that the phone booth is dropped into wherever. I mean, we saw that a little bit in the movie when Billy the Kid is just like totally okay with it, but like everybody here just, you know, like in in Shakespeare's times, they're just like, oh, this must be part of the set or, you know, whatever (laughs) they're doing. But at the same time, Marie Antoinette goes to make a phone call. They're like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm calling my friends. I don't know why they're not answering. And they're like, oh, because the telephone hasn't been invented yet. Like, it's not only are they okay with the fact that, like, this foreign object is now in their time and space, but they're also familiar with the concept of phone calls, even if it hasn't – like, it's just – it's it, it's like the show is basically saying it's easier just to not explain anything, so, like, we're just going to roll with it.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's, like, another parallel with the TARDIS. Uh, It also has a component called the chameleon, which enables the TARDIS to, like, be kind of invisible or just blend in with the background. But that piece of the TARDIS is actually broken, which is always that blue police box. But there's something about the chameleon that does still work to make everyone, like, not care. (laughs) Like, it shows up wherever no one gives a shit.
2: That's why, like, almost it releases, like, a gas that... that Makes them think it's not even there or anything. It's funny. I didn't even realize. It didn't even occur to me that everyone was speaking English wherever they went. I was just like, I was like, oh, it's just a cartoon. But uh, that is kind of funny to me. Like now, thinking back, it, it would be amazing if this cartoon actually had subtitles. Then mm-hmm. I feel like it would truly be financed by like a learning group or something, you know, and it would really be you know, like for in educational purposes or something. <laughs> so I'm watching this show and I think it's episode 10. It's the episode where Bill and Ted decide that they want to quit the Wild Stallions. And the title right. card comes up and it's written by Paul Dini. Now I don't know if you guys are aware of who Paul Dini is but he basically like changed the face of cartoons during the 80s and
0: 90s. He huh.
2: he um was early on he was part of like the development of He-Man. He wrote for Batman the animated series and a lot of those Warner Brother cartoons and he created the character Harley Quinn who huh. is now going to be in Suicide Squad. He created that for the Batman cartoon show in the 90s. So When that name came up, I lost my mind a little bit. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And it's, I mean, it's not like the best episode, but it is the one episode that kind of breaks from the time travel rules a little bit. Like They decide they're going to quit being Wild Stallions, and Rufus travels back, but the future is degrading, and he gets right. younger and younger as the episode goes on until he's baby Rufus by the end of it.
0: <laughs> he basically has Benjamin Button's disease.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And they go through time inspiring famous people not to give up on their dreams, and then at the end, I liked it because they just sort of came to the realization themselves that they shouldn't give up. They're like, hey, we inspired them to stick with it, maybe we should stick with it and keep the Wild Stallions together.
0: That's what I wish that more shows, like, I don't want it to be like for instance, like Community, where every episode or like Comedy Bang Bang, where like every episode those shows are designed that every episode has to be something like radically different. Like everything is sort of like a send-up of a particular genre, and I mean For the most part, aside from, you know, that one season of Community, which we will not talk about, both those shows are, like, wildly successful in, like, breaking the mold or breaking the formula every episode. Like, it's amazing how successful they both are in terms of just creating, like, brand new worlds to tell these stories in. And, like, you have that ability here. Like, you have literally all of history to work with. And if you're just, like, more creative in terms of the way that you tell a story, the way that you frame their trip or, like, why they have to do things you know, you're you're only limited by your creativity. And I, I'm just, it, it just makes me a little bit sad that like everything is so by the book and sort of fundamental. And like that episode, I don't need all 13 episodes to be ones where things are broken, but like you could have four or five or six, you know, you'd have probably a bunch to, that sort of break the formula and go from there.
1: Yeah, I think that this is definitely like one of the better episodes, one that I enjoyed probably the most. Some of the voices actually, the voice actors play the different characters over the course of the series are definitely voices that are recognized but can't necessarily place. Mm -hmm. Like there's the one where they're in ancient Egypt and I don't know whose it is. It sounds really familiar and it might be Steve Martin. No, he's not credited, but it's like a King Tut themed thing. And back to the the episode where they run into Da Vinci, doing that is like kind of doing a Rodney Dangerfield impression. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, he sounded like Doc Brown to me, and oh, yeah. I, I got yeah. that with some of this, with some of the historical figures. They're lacing the celebrity impressions over them. So like, Dracula sounded like Jack Nicholson and Stonewall Jackson, or someone sounded like Bob Hope. Um, I think it was Christopher Columbus. So yeah, I noticed that a, a few times. It Was like, who is that famous voice? Like, they're definitely just trying to imprint. A, a wacky voice you might be familiar with onto one of the uh, characters.
1: Yeah. Well, well they there's... actually got little Richard to play himself in episode <laughs> two. Yeah. At least. When I looked at the, the cast listing episode one, actually Phil Hartman, I was like, Oh wow, that's surprising.
0: Well, I remember there's, there's the one character that's sort of doing like a Marlon Brando in the Godfather mm-hmm. parody. The only voice I think I really recognized was, I want to say it was probably E.G. Daily. I mean, it was a voice that sounded like. There's one episode where like several different Rugrats characters all sound like they made their way into Bill and Ted. <laughs> it just it, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, vo- voice acting is just terrific, and I think that's why I wasn't sure. Like, I, and I was thinking the same thing, Kara. Like, while I was watching, like, are these really like the real actors, or are they just people sort of doing impressions of the people? Like, they obviously didn't get Marlon Brando, but. It's somebody doing a Marlon Brando, so uh, it's 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 a weird like just another little way I guess that they could have fun with it.
1: Yeah, the other person was Jeffrey Tambor, who is oh, nice. also a voice.
2: All right, so I had one maybe one more other comment about all this before uh, <laughs> I feel like I've said my piece. Okay. So cartoons and especially ones that were adapted from films, just I just remember cartoons when I was young. They would go crazy okay they would get nuts there was a punky brewster cartoon based off the tv show where she had like a magical leprechaun dog type creature you know that granted her wishes there's just all kinds of crazy things going on and my main question with this show is where is dog rufus this would yes. have been
1: perfect. thank you I agree entirely
2: <laughs> and guys i want to call him Rufus. Ooh, how I does like that. that Does that fit? I'm kind of happy with that I like that a lot
1: I mean, it's okay, I like Rufus more though
2: Well, we could do <laughs> Woofus uh, That was the other one I came up
0: with I'm good with <laughs> both of those, I like them both
2: <laughs> But, I mean, it, they needed to turn him into a dog for one episode or something You know, Bill and Ted visit Dr. Frankenstein and they accidentally turn Rufus into dog Rufus I just really feel like if we were ever going to get him, this would be where he shows up I, I don't know if he'll be in part three
0: well, because that's the, yeah, that's another thing that's sort of devil. frustrating, is that Rufus is sort of jammed into all these episodes. You know, they realize like we have George Carlin, we're not gonna like not use him, mm-hmm. but like aside from the episode where he becomes younger and younger as the future degrades. I don't really think that they have anything like creative for him to do. He's just there because people love Rufus as a character because George Carlin's immensely entertaining, but like, they don't do enough, like, you know, turn him into a dog. Like you said, or like, just do anything with him. It just, he's basically the deus ex machi. Like he just saves them in every, like mm-hmm. they're just such screw ups that like he goes back in time, like when they're in the Colosseum and they're about to get killed and he goes back and saves them. Like he's always there to just sort of rescue them at the last moment. And, like, yeah, like, that's sort of what he does and why he's there in the first place. But, like, you can do more with that, especially since every episode you're going to be resetting the step one anyway. Yes. Like, get crazy and weird with it.
1: Well, actually, there's a couple episodes where, like, he's kind of in peril. I mean, aside from the one where he's Benjamin Buttoning in episode three, the one where they go to Latin America instead of ancient Rome. I forget what happens to rufus but i wrote down rufus in peril something <laughs> happens in the episode and then the episode after that the the one with ted's dad's car he's about to like take the fall with them
2: yeah uh, he's the real hero right he's like the unsung hero of the future it's like bill and ted are out there running amok and he's cleaning up after them and saving their necks and keeping them out of like being crucified and all this stuff it's,
1: it's and yeah, he also signed the Declaration of Independence. Oh, I that was great! That they did uh, that too.
2: I wonder if he did that because he didn't—he needed to keep Bill and Ted's signature off of it.
1: So
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man!
0: Anything else that you want to talk about? I think I'm sort of tapped out in terms of what I um, want to cover for this.
2: There's one or two historical figures where I was just now, as an adult, I was just kind of like very surprised
0: that they showed up.
2: One is like they go to Deadwood. You know, and after having fallen in love and watched that series like three times now, the show Deadwood on HBO, like they they go there in the show, you know, and they meet Calamity Jane, and I'm just like, that is insane. That, I uh, just my perspective of Deadwood and her from that show uh, would not really, I don't know, if if she met Bill and Ted, I doubt she'd have any patience with them whatsoever. It's just so <laughs> crazy. And then another one is uh, I think for a few seconds they run into the Borges, right? The that yeah. The, Yep. Yeah, that was crazy too after now with that that show was on cable about how crazy they are. I was like, Whoa, you guys better get out of there real fast. And that's about it. I mean Dracula <laughs> Dracula showed up, I was like, Well, he's fictional. That's like the one fictional guy that they squeezed in there for they could have used Vlad the impaler, but it's literally vampire Dracula. So that was a little strange.
0: Yeah. But I mean like i think like that's another thing like like dracula stands out because he doesn't like but like, you could do more make-believe stuff which i guess you know based on what you were saying earlier they might do in season two a little bit where they have they you know they go into movies and they go into books and stuff you don't have to only do historical figures like if you want to just like get weird with it like get like it's a cartoon just get weird with yeah, it
1: yeah
2: get weird with it yeah exactly
1: yeah, I think there were a lot of points at was like, this is a cartoon. You could do literally anything, and you made this choice. Why?
2: <laughs> There's even one moment. It kind of put me off, funny enough, just because it broke so heavily with the rules they established. I think Rufus shows up in a video game at one point and starts talking to Bill and Ted, and I was like, well, that shouldn't happen. But afterwards, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, Rufus is using future tech, and he's
0: sending them a message through the video game. Like, sure, why not? exactly like that's that's the real question that like the whole series should should answer to is just why not just like do anything just like why not like everything lines up it's a cartoon so you you don't need to have like practical effects it's time travel it everything resets to step one every episode you're grounded in this world of science fiction with the time travel you literally can do anything you want with no repercussions so just why not do it
2: yeah and i Shudder to think of what happened with the live-action version of all of this, which I'll try and watch a little of, you know, before we talk about Bogus Journey. I think it's all up there on YouTube in parts and pieces and stuff, so I'm going to subject myself to that experiment, <laughs> see how see how yeah. all that turned
0: out. Well, good luck. Best of luck to you. You are a braver soul than I am. All right.
1: There's apparently a uh, an episode in season two, the Fantastic Voyage one, where they get shrunk down and go inside the human body. I might actually go out to watch that one.
2: I love that movie. So maybe that's what they mean by they go into other movies and stuff is that they're just going to start parodying fiction instead of history.
0: Which is fine. Do it. Why not? Kara, any last minute thoughts? Any other things in your notes that you wanted to talk about?
1: If I can bring things full circle, I was talking about Hanna-Barbera before. And one of the things produced later on in the history of the company is the pilot for Billy and Mandy, Meet the Reaper, which was on Cartoon Network. And I talked to you guys about this last time, I think, after we finished. When I was in college, I actually did a a project on images of the death figure in popular media that was mm-hmm. inspired by Bill and Teddy's journey. And The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy was another one of the examples looked at in the huh. project.
2: Oh, so, not only is there the Hanna-Barbera connection, but the name Bill is in all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. there you go. I didn't even notice.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us, Carrie. You'll be back, I think, in just three episodes for Bogus Journey. I mean, we're going to sort of cap off the bill and ted trifecta here just in a little bit after we go to point break so i mean between two of Keanu's biggest movies of the 90s point break and my own private idaho we have another bill and ted movie i'm not sure i mean we'll talk about it more for that episode but like was bogus journey as popular as excellent adventure is that sort of like an afterthought
2: um from my recollection it wasn't as popular bogus journey i think it tried to appeal to a older broader audience and also maybe focused more on the rock and roll audience i just remember music being a much bigger part it being promoted on mtv like crazy
0: okay Mm -hmm. because the the only thing that i have to base it on because i haven't seen it is it's not out on Blu-ray yet. It's coming out this fall for the first time, and I feel like everything that's sort of really popular back in the day or that was really big is sort of out, you know, because they want to mm. dive back in for that, that cash grab and sort of you know get people to buy it. So like, I feel like it's now doing it like Shout is doing it because Shout Factory seems committed to doing things that fans want as opposed to things that are like inherently financially lucrative you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i get the sense that it's less popular but i mean hey we'll see and i mean it's more bill and ted and it's whether that movie or just the the franchise as a whole something's popular enough to warrant all this talk about a third movie like we talked about during the excellent adventure the movie episode so i mean it's exciting stuff either way any any way you slice it yeah i'm pumped well thank you carrie you'll be back in just a few short weeks for that so we will talk to you then thank you for joining us today. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to CageClub.me or Facebook.com slash CageClub. You can find all of our past podcasts, see what's coming up next, find other shows on our podcasting network, all sorts of fun, free listening entertainment over there at CageClub.me and Facebook.com slash CageClub. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Kara O'Regan, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.
1: Whenever Tom and trouble moves too fast To save the future We must learn
2: about the past Whoa!